Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Wearing out already. Gonna wake up. We still got a lot, a lot of activities, a lot of action going on this week. So let's recap a little bit. Sunday night, we got together. How long ago does Sunday night feel? It feels like forever ago, doesn't it, right? Sunday night we got together and we came to the conclusion, the correct conclusion, the factual conclusion that we are all made in God's image. Not just you, but the person next to you. What I want you to do, look to the person on your right and say, you are made in God's image. And if they turn their head to you, take offense to that. Now turn to the person on your left, say, you are made in God's image. And if they turn their head towards you, shame on them. Sunday night, we also discovered we discovered we are made in God's image. We have an eternal spirit that is go, either going to spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God. We also discovered Sunday night that my son is here at camp with us. Some of you have discovered who he is. Some of you have not, even though you are trying. I will tell you a new fact about my son tonight that might help you narrow down who he is. He is not, he is not in paintball camp. He is not in paintball camp. And he is an extremely talented musician playing multiple instruments. Might very well be playing four different instruments this next year in high school. So that is what's going on with him. We also discovered on Sunday night that I am bald. And for some reason, that really hits you guys uh, big time. (laughs) I'm not sure how to take this response here. I can tell you this. If you want to see me without my hat, tomorrow during free time, roughly 3 o'clock, me, Shifu, and maybe another counselor are going to take on anyone who wants to take us on in basketball. I have an undefeated record thus far and will continue after tomorrow to have an undefeated record. So we'll take on anyone, guy, girl, counselor, doesn't matter to me. Bring it tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. Now last night, last night we dove into the scriptures And last night was kind of geared towards the believer. Those of you who are here and have taken Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And last night was my encouragement to say, hey, you are a part of something that is so much bigger than yourself. Something incredible. And that we are tied in, not just with our fellow believers that are to our left and to our right, but with the believers throughout all of history, the apostles, the prophets, And most importantly, we are tied together with Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to look into the the general theme, the unraveling. Something happens at the beginning of creation that messed things up. It took God's perfect plan. God had a perfect relationship with mankind. God had a perfect plan in place. And then sin entered the world through the first man, Adam. And then things just start unraveling from there. 
I like this little skit that we got the opportunity to see. My guess is many of you can identify with feeling inadequate, feeling less than, feeling like you don't measure up. Maybe it's just some area of your life, some elements. Uh, maybe it's a sports thing. Maybe it's in your church family where you're not quite sure where you measure up. Maybe it's in your own personal family. Maybe your mom and dad don't feel like, or maybe you don't feel like mom and dad think you are enough. Or maybe it's quite simply your faith. How's it going? We all have moments where we don't add up. And tonight we're going to kind of explore a little bit about what that looks like. There's a great misconception out there among the church, among the family of God, that you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you have to do certain things before you commit yourself to Christ. This is an incredible roadblock to many, many individuals. And maybe you guys in this room have experienced some sort of prejudice against who you are. Maybe someone told you directly or indirectly, you need to get your stuff together before you come to Jesus. You need to get your stuff together before you come worship with us in this building. You can't be that way. You can't look that way. You can't talk that way. You can't dress that way and come worship with us. Some of you might have experienced that. I'm going to tell you what. Jesus never said that you have to clean yourself up before you follow him. Jesus has no image that he has to maintain. He's not asking you to be different before you follow him. He knows how rude you are to your friends. He knows what four-letter words you're using. He knows what websites you visit. He knows your life is a mess. Here's a really cool thing about Jesus. Not once, not once, does he say, fix it before you get to me. We're going to look in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is one of the most incredible interactions of Jesus and uh, the people in the Bible. In this particular situation, there's a group of very pious religious leaders at the time. And these religious leaders had found themselves a woman who was caught in adultery. And they ripped this woman out of the situation, and they dragged her out, and they brought her before Jesus. I don't know how they did it, but it probably wasn't very nicely. Some of the things to really think about, the Bible says they caught her in adultery. And I don't want to be too graphic, but they could very well have ripped this woman out, unclothed, dragged her through the town to throw her down in front of Jesus. Here's the other question. Where's the guy? Why didn't they drag the guy? That's a whole other sermon, though. We'll get into that. They caught a woman in adultery. 
and they dragged her and threw her down in front of Jesus. And they're getting ready to stone her because rightfully due to the old law, they had every right to stone someone who was actively caught in adultery. The punishment for that sin was death. But this is where Jesus flipped the script. This is why Jesus came. Because we're in a new covenant and a new understanding. And as they're standing in front of Jesus, the religious leaders here in John 8, verse 7, says they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, he said this, while the woman's here, he says to the men, let him who is without sin, you be the first to throw the stone. And then they all just slithered away. Dropping the stones and left. And what's left is a moment between Jesus and this woman. And I can see Jesus kneeling down and getting to this woman. And saying, he says, look, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She looks around, she says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says this, one of the greatest statements in the whole of the Gospels, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, does this mean that she'll never sin again? No, she will. But do you think her life was changed that day? Do you think she has a new purpose? Do you think she has a desire to follow this Jesus guy who had every right to condemn her and did not? If you've been around church at any length of time, you are probably familiar with the verse uh, in John 3.16. says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. The problem is we stop at John 3.16. You know there's more verses after John 3.16? In particular, the next verse, the verse I'd love to share, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's the point, guys. Jesus ultimately wants to bring salvation to our lives. He's not looking to drop the hammer of condemnation. He's not looking to drop the hammer of judgment. He's not looking to bring about conviction. He's looking first and foremost to bring about salvation. Here's a question you can ask yourself. Maybe you do every day. Are you too messed up to be loved by God? Maybe some of you think your sins are too dark. Maybe you're in a cycle of darkness that you think God, not even God, can free me from this. Maybe you feel completely unworthy of his love, unworthy of his salvation. If you guys want the honest truth, you're not. You're not worthy. You're not worthy of his love. You're not worthy of his salvation. None of us are. None of us are good enough. That's what makes God's love so outstanding. That's what makes his love so beautiful. Is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
at no point does God or Jesus say, clean yourself up and then come to me. Come to him. Come to him and you'll find so many things. If you come to Jesus, you're going to find a peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4.7 tells us. Proverbs 18.24 tells us that Jesus can be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 2 Corinthians 1.3 tells us he will give us a comforter in times of need. Romans 15.13 says that we can have a life abounding in hope and joy. Isaiah 41.10 says he will become our strength and our help, and you'll find so, so much more. Perhaps no one actually told you that you have to change in order to get saved, but it is a perception, it is an issue that far too many people have. In church and in Christian circles, there are way too many unwritten rules out there. Maybe you've heard of some of them yourselves. There's no running in church. There's no yelling in church. There's no hats in church. There's no dancing in church. There's no swearing in church. There's no coffee in the sanctuary in church. Without saying it, they, they tell you you have to dress the right way. You have to act the right way. You have to put a mask on to hide who you are to be a part of this family. And that's wrong. You cannot expect someone who does not follow Jesus to act like a Christian. You just can't. What does it say about us if we are turning people away, turning people away from hearing about Jesus because they do not look or do not act the part? Telling people you're welcome in your doors if you look this way, if you act this way, if you say the right things, but if you don't, you have to leave. This is one of the things, elements I really love about this camp, and I hope you appreciate it too, is they don't care what you look like, what you act like when you come in here. The leaders, the staff, the counselors, they lead with love. Jesus never said, get your stuff together before following me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you look at the Gospels, you find out that Jesus hung out with some pretty messy people. He often found himself in parties and hanging out with people that you probably wouldn't be comfortable having inside your own doors. We put these expectations on people, we end up excluding the exact people that Jesus wants to include. I've seen this statement floating around. I cannot attribute it to anyone directly. It says, Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors because he wanted to appear inclusive, tolerant, or accepting. He ate with them to call them to repentance. One of my favorite uh, stories or accounts in the Bible is with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very hated man. I could go on and on. Literally, I have a whole sermon series on Zacchaeus. He's one of the most fascinating men in the Bible. Zacchaeus was not a well-liked man. Yet he was seeking to try to find Jesus. Not only was he short, something I can't identify with, but he was also uh, not, he was, I mean, hated is the right word. They didn't like tax collectors. They take money away. So this hated man wanted to see Jesus. No one in the crowd let him in to see Jesus. They created such a wall, such a barrier between him and Jesus that Zacchaeus had to climb a tree. One of the most undignified things you could possibly do as a Jewish man. He had to climb a tree. And when he got up there to see, all he wanted to do was see Jesus. 
But the best part about the story is Jesus saw him. And then he said, come down, I'm going to your house. And what happened during this encounter at Zacchaeus' house, as Zacchaeus got to know Jesus, then a change happened in his life. And you get to the end of the account, you see Zacchaeus says, look, I have robbed people, I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to multiply what I took from them. I'm going to give them way more than I took. It was his encounter with Jesus that changed his walk. Jesus didn't say, do this and then I'll eat with you. No, Jesus said, I'm going to eat with you. And because he met with Jesus is why he had a changed life. The church, the family of God, far too often has done a poor job of welcoming in the mess. Maybe you're here tonight and it's, it's your story. Maybe this is your situation. A while back you wanted to check out this Jesus guy. You got enough courage to walk into church or walk into a youth group uh, on a Wednesday night. You, as soon as you walked through those doors, you said, you can't wear these clothes, you can't say these words, you can't like these things, you can't drink this, you can't smoke that, you can't watch CNN. You have to change who you are in order to be a part of this group. Maybe even further, maybe they said, you can't have doubts about God in this building. And if you've been told that by the church, I'm sorry. It's wrong. The church should be a welcoming place. The church, the family of God, should be a place where you can feel like you belong before you have to believe. It should be a place... The family of God should be a, a welcoming place where we can hear about Jesus before you decide to follow Jesus. The church should be a place where you get to figure out Jesus where you, before you have to figure out your life. Some of you are probably here this week because you just wanted to simply get away. You wanted something different, something fun. Maybe a, a friend or someone from church told you about this amazing camp, all the fun they get to have, the zip lines, the horses, the games, the paintball. They told you about all these things. Uh, maybe you're totally surprised that we got to sit in a room and sing. We got to sit in a room and listen to some old guy talk. We got to sit in a room and we got to uh, we got to listen to someone pray. Maybe you're surprised about that this week. But for whatever reason you're here, we're glad you're here. There's lots and lots of people that have been praying for you to be here. And maybe we're about halfway through. Maybe this is the first time you start to hear about this Jesus guy. And you're still trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. And that's okay. That's good. For those of you who have been in church for a while, for those who have been following Christ for a while, don't miss out on this. It's okay that church gets to be a little bit messy because the church is not supposed to be some holy huddle that separates us from the rest of the world. I want to tell you a story about my friend Mark. Mark from back, wow, how old was I when I first saw Mark? Uh, eighth, eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that when I first saw Mark. I saw Mark come walking in to my high school to, or my youth group. To explain what my youth group was, we were a tight-knit group, a lot of really good friends. We were all very clean-cut. Most, most of us came from good Christian homes. Oh, thank you. I can keep talking. Okay. 
Uh, most of us came from good Christian homes. We had uh, mom and dad at home. We had everything figured out. Good. Uh, it was our perfect little situation. And then one Wednesday night, I look at the door, and there's Mark. Mark's got this leather jacket. He's got this, this hair that like, split down the middle, smelled like cigarettes. I was 20, 30 feet away from him. I could smell him. And then he sat down right next to me. If you listen to him tell the story, he'll tell you that we hit it off right away and that we became very quick friends. Uh, but to be completely honest, it took me a little while to warm up to him. I've maintained a friendship with Mark over these many, many years, and I asked him to share, me, share with you uh, a little bit of his testimony. Playing with a bunch of kids that I started playing baseball uh, when I was 15, and I was playing with a bunch of kids that I didn't know at the time were Christians. I couldn't have told you what a Christian was from a Catholic or from an atheist. I, I didn't know. Uh, but all of those uh, young people were going to the same church and they were nice to me and they accepted me even though I was a, a foul-mouthed, uh, uh, sometimes belligerent young man. And uh, eventually uh, one of them invited me to go to church uh, at uh, Eastford Baptist. Uh, they had a youth group. I uh, walked in and uh, sat next to this uh, tall, scrawny guy named Sam Rempel. And uh, my youth pastor, or the man that became my youth pastor, said, I think you guys would get along fine. And walked in cold, not knowing the gospel, not knowing much about the Bible outside of just what I'd learned in Catholic Church, and uh, which was very little. And uh, within a few weeks, he started hearing about Jesus and how he loved me and the people that I was around, the adults especially, but the kids as well. Uh, they just treated me like I was a, a normal kid. And uh, despite my serious flaws, uh, came to Christ a few months later and uh, for the next three years, continued to go to that church regularly. And again, the adults and the teenagers all became friends and mentors and put me under their wing and loved me despite being the only Christian in my family uh, and uh, ended up putting me on a path where uh, I would end up going to Bible college, uh, eventually to seminary, and uh, now a uh, successful business owner uh, serving in my church and in my community, uh, where, you know, taking that lesson from when I was 15 as that young kid, being able to just accept people as they are, that uh, that's really the way that Jesus is with us, that, you know, he, he does take us just as broken and messed up and dirty and whatever else we're into. Uh, he loves us before salvation as much as after. Uh, he wants a relationship with us despite anything we've done and despite all of the things he knows we're going to do eventually. Uh, and he wants that relationship. And we as a, as a community of believers have the opportunity to demonstrate what it's like to be Christ when we accept people as they are, always telling them the truth, but in love and pointing them to Jesus. So Mark's testimony goes on and on and on. He had many times before, before the age of 15 had uh, contemplations of taking his own life. And ultimately he ended up coming to church because he was looking for something different. If they had met him at the door while he was tossing away his cigarettes and told him to come back later after he cleaned up, he probably would not be here today. 
He would not have multiple Bible degrees. He would not have just a beautiful little family. Uh, but maybe most importantly, he would not now be owning and managing a Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I got good friends. Guys, the family that Jesus came to establish is a place for everyone. It doesn't matter what you have going on in your life. You're going to come to Jesus. You're going to be able to find hope. And you have to be okay with the church. You have to be okay with our family being a little messy. And to be honest, the real reason the church is messy is not because we're letting these people in, but the real reason it's messy is because of, uh, of us, you and I. Eugene Patterson, a theologian, said, when Christian believers gather in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Just as a hospital collects its sick under one roof and labels them as such, the church collects sinners. So Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are rather places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open, faced, and dealt with. The family of God is a hospital for sinful and broken people. How many of you guys ever been to a hospital, had some issue, had to go to a hospital? What would it feel like if you went to the hospital and they said, you know what, come back when you're better? In all my times visiting hospitals, I've never seen them yell or get mad at someone for coming in sick. That's what the family of God should be, welcoming. Guys, that's what Jesus is, is welcoming. The Gospels are full of examples of broken people coming to Jesus, and time and time and time again, Jesus would welcome them in. When everyone around him seemed uncomfortable, when he's sitting with tax collectors, he's sitting with prostitutes, he's sitting with lepers, he's sitting with children, he's sitting with rebels, he's sitting with adulterers, he's sitting with Samaritans, and that was a major racial issue with them back in the days. He's sitting with all these messed up people, and the religious leaders could not comprehend it. And as uncomfortable as everyone was around them, Jesus was not once uncomfortable. He loved them where they were. When others were going out of their way to avoid them, Jesus was going directly to them. Young man, young woman, if you think you are too far gone, guess what? Jesus is coming directly for you. Jesus never said anyone was unwelcome. Rather, he welcomed everyone. He never told anyone to get their stuff together and then follow him. He says, look, follow me and we will sort this out together. Jesus modeled with his life how to respond, how to lead in love. And years later, Paul one of, his, one, of the, uh, one of the men who had an incredible encounter with God, Paul wrote down some of these qualities that Jesus had in his interactions with others. If you look at the book of Ephesians, Paul is challenging the church. He is challenging the family of God to love others as Jesus loved. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't know what you hear when you listen to that passage. What I hear, I hear a place that is real. I hear a place that is safe. I hear a place that is authentic. I hear a real family. If we spend too much time focusing on our own little piece of the giant tapestry, guys, we're going to be unfulfilled. We need to step back and allow ourselves to be a part of the bigger picture. And the best shot you and I have of following Jesus is to actually let his word sink in and actually change us. The best chance that we have to actually experience life change and transformation is to pursue God, not individually, but together. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is in a real and authentic relationship, a real authentic family, the family of God. Ephesians 2, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is for of the fruits of the Spirit, what should be pouring out of us when the Holy Spirit consumes us. This is how we are to walk, how are we to engage. Christian, follower of Christ, are you walking in humility? Are you speaking to one another with gentleness? Are you enduring one another with patience? Are you walking side by side, carrying each other's burdens in love? We need to remind ourselves daily that we are created in the image of God and those people around us are created in the image of God and they are due that respect, at, that respect as image bearers of God. Verse 3 says, we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That can't happen if we're yelling at each other and throwing stones at each other. That can't happen if we're focusing on someone else's shortcomings. We need to be able to come together and face the real enemy, not the person that looks or acts differently. Christian, we need to create an environment that is real, safe, and authentic. The family of God is real, safe, and authentic. To be a part of the family of God, it means to know and experience the love of God. It means to be able to call the only, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe, be able to call him Father, or even Abba, Daddy. To be a part of the family of God means to have your needs met. To be a part of the family of God means to have a large and loving extended family. To be a part of the family of God means to have purpose in this life that has eternal significance. When you come to the acknowledgement of the significance of the love of God, your life will be changed. Young man, young lady, if you're trying to figure out who this Jesus is, and you're thinking to yourself, I would, but I have to do this first. Fill in the blank, whatever that might be. I have to stop dating him, or I have to quit smoking, I have to quit this, I have to quit that. 
before Jesus could love me. One of the greatest lines my buddy said, Jesus loves you as much before you get to know him as he does after. We're going to spend a little time tomorrow talking about what that looks like, developing and starting a relationship with Jesus. But I'm telling you, if you are struggling with that, don't wait till tomorrow. Tonight's a great time to pull your counselor aside and be like, I'm really struggling with this. How can God love me while I'm blank? Don't hesitate. That's why we're here. We're here to introduce you to the great love of all loves, the author of love, Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, who did not come into this world to condemn, but to bring about salvation. That's why I'm here. That's why I went ahead and I'm missing a softball game tonight. Whew. Left field is going to be hurting without me there. But our whole purpose and intent, God doesn't need you to change before you come to him. But I'll tell you what, once you get into the family of God, you're going to want to change for him. And he's going to, he's going to be there every step of the way. Let's pray. Father God, I am uh, I'm looking out and I'm seeing all these faces. I see young men and young women who are madly, deeply in love with you. Who are walking a path with you and they have such an incredible uh, future with you. I see that. But I also see young men and young women with blank stares with fear in their eyes, with hurt. God, show them something special tonight. Let them see you. Whatever wall they're building, let's knock it down tonight, God. You are pursuing them. You want them. Allow them to see that. Allow them to hear that. Allow them to feel it through the love of the believers that are around them. God, we seek to glorify you in all things. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.